Blog Talk Radio. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday night. It is June the 10th, 2022. And boy, oh boy, the insanity just seems to keep on ramping up. Um, I'm not going to get into it this evening, but I did watch that supposed hearing about January 6th. All that I will say is that what happened on January 6th never should have happened on January 6th. I think we're all in agreement. But the overblown, breathless description, the fact that it was a one-sided hearing, I've testified before numerous congressional hearings, and generally you have both sides. You know, it's kind of like the old joke that in a divorce there's at least three sides to the argument, his, hers, and the truth. If there's going to be hearings to provide the American people with facts, then we need to see it from every perspective. It needs to be three-dimensional, not one-dimensional. And sadly, my feeling was it was one-dimensional. You're supposed to provide evidence at hearings the way you do at trials that's both damning and exculpatory, information that shows that perhaps there was no crime or that there's reasons why things happen. A one-sided presentation uh, scares the hell out of me because that's what you expect of a, tyr- of a tyrannical government, of a communist regime, of a totalitarian government. If we're going to educate the American people as to what happened and there were things that happened that were wrong, then show it as it exists, all factors. Don't cherry pick. Don't take out of context. There'll be more hearings. The uh, circus will continue. Um, It's disturbing. It's disturbing. We need to be given the truth, and for far too long, truth has become one of the most elusive commodities in the United States and perhaps around the world. Uh, The censorship by social media, the censorship by the mainstream media, You know the old line from a few good men, you can't handle the truth? Well, Americans must have the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, as we say in that oath when we stand uh, to take a, or to provide the deposition under oath. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. One-sided, wow, what more can I say? Let's continue moving on, however. Uh, Everything seems to be going to hell in a handbasket. We have an incompetent federal government, perhaps a corrupt federal government, because it's really hard to reconcile the many ways that the bottom is falling out um, with what, what is being done and what is not being done. And, of course, you know my focus is going to be immigration. But in addition to immigration, if you consider my background, those of you familiar with me know that My 30-year career with the former Immigration and Naturalization Service also included 
uh, my four-year assignment as the first immigration agent assigned to the Unified Intelligence Division of DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration. I also was then promoted to the position of senior special agent and as an INS agent assigned to the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force. Now, the reason that immigration agents are placed in those task forces is because our immigration laws give immigration law enforcement personnel unique perspectives and unique laws that can help to dismantle transnational gangs, international terrorist organizations, and drug trafficking organizations. Human traffickers very often are drug smugglers, one and the same. Frequently, illegal aliens are forced to carry narcotics on their person, uh, the unflattering Well, there we go. Hopefully you can hear me. Um, I hope you hear me. Um, Again, this is the Michael Cutler Hour. I'm your host, Michael Cutler. Um, What I've been trying to discuss with you for the past five minutes, and then I got an indication on my computer screen that uh, I was disconnected, um, is that my background as an immigration agent included a four-year assignment to the Unified Intelligence Division of the Drug Enforcement Administration in New York, followed by a promotion to senior special agent that's gone to the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force. There's a clear nexus between narcotics trafficking and human trafficking, alien smuggling and drug smuggling. And we know that in point of fact, um, this is a serious problem. We know that in point of fact, smugglers are smugglers are smugglers, and an open border leaves America and Americans vulnerable to criminals, to terrorists, to narcotics, to weapons of mass destruction, Um, to those folks who would do grave damage to our country and kill as many of us as possible. The 9-11 Commission was crystal clear about it. And for decades, we have been seeing increased uses of narcotics here in the United States, and the death count continues. And, in fact, last year we had a record number of people die of fentanyl overdoses. The primary source country for fentanyl, by the way, is China. And sometimes things get so crazy that it's easy to lose track of what's happening. So I have a confession. I was not aware, because I don't take the subways in New York. They're not my favorite form of transportation, particularly with the way things are, and I don't generally have a need to take subways into Manhattan. But Bill Maher last week had a very good show. Didn't like the part with uh, the former attorney general, but that's to be expected. But... He was talking about the lunacy of the radical left and the fact that now there are signs on New York subways basically encouraging the use of fentanyl, saying that it's a great thing if you can show that you could control the drugs. Wow. How do you control the drugs? By taking them safely. And I thought, this is insane. This can't possibly be happening. I spent nearly half my career doing narcotics investigations. And I, and I lost a couple of good friends along the way, most notably, if you folks remember, in 1989, I believe it was, 88 or 89, a DEA agent by the name of Everett Hatcher was killed by an Italian mobster by the name of Gus Ferracci in Staten Island. I had been with Hatch just a few hours earlier. In fact, in those days, I had a desk at DEA intelligence. I came to work, and there was Hatch sitting at my desk. We came to call him Hatch. That was his nickname, Everett Hatcher his feet up on my desk. And of all the things he could have said to him, I said, Hatch, what are you doing here? And he said, Mike, how would you like to trade jobs? He was dead about four hours later, shot in the head. 
I've been to other funerals of other law enforcement officers killed in the line of duty doing some of the most dangerous work, and that's doing undercover operations and narcotics transactions. Uh, I never did undercover, but I did very often protect the undercover, sitting in a car, listening to a transmitter with a shotgun in your lap, and you're going to be the cavalry running in if things head south. I cannot tell you uh, the level of stress all concerned experience. And why did we do it? To try to get the drugs off the streets. And now we have the New York City Board of Health counseling people about how to use drugs safely. Fentanyl, crack, heroin, cocaine, and the list goes on. And I, I was on a radio show earlier today. And by the way, the reason I'm talking about this is because if you look at my notice of my show today, my most recent article for Front Page Magazine is one that I hope you will check out. Sanctuary cities now provide sanctuary for deadly illegal drugs. And the subtitle, the New York City Health Department, shows how to use them, quote, unquote, safely. <clears throat> it makes no sense. But this has been ongoing for a long time. And I was on a show today. I'm a regular on a program hosted by Bobby Gunther Walsh at WAEB in Pennsylvania to give him a plug. I've been doing his program Gosh, it's got to be five or six years now. Generally, I'm on every other Friday with him for a full hour, well, close to an hour in, in the 9 o'clock hour, East Coast time. And I had said something on air, and it made me think about it afterwards. It's one of those things when you have an epiphany. Many years ago, I was executing arrest warrants with a team of agents, and we were in the backyard of, a, of, a, of an apartment building in Queens, and this big old dog came charging at me and was about to bite me in a very sensitive place. I'll allow you to use your imagination. I quickly turned around, and he got my backside. And in those days, I used to carry a handkerchief in my back pocket. Luckily, a big part of that impact of his jaw landed on my handkerchief, but I could still feel the blood running down my leg. And, you know, I smacked the dog in the face. He took off, fortunately. Didn't shoot him. The last thing I want to do is to have to shoot anybody or any dog. Then the dog was doing his job. I was on his turf. He wasn't on my turf. Big dog, about 70 or 80-pound dog. So after we made the arrest, after we got everything secured, I was driven into the emergency room. And the doctor in the emergency room asked me a question that I'd never heard before. And suddenly I connected some dots today. Because the question that I was asked, and this was more than 30 years ago, Mr. Cutler, Agent Cutler, do you use recreational drugs? And it, 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 it stopped me cold in my tracks. I said, recreational drugs, those two words don't go together. Recreation is fishing. Recreation is stamp collecting. Recreation is bowling, right? Recreation is painting and sculpting. You name it, that's recreation. Drugs, recreation? And the doctor looked a little bit embarrassed, and he said, yeah, I know you're a federal agent. That probably sounds crazy to you. I'm a doctor, it sounds crazy to me, but we've been asked to use the term recreational drug. I was taken aback. And suddenly today it dawned on me that for the last several decades, going back to perhaps that time in the 80s, the push was on to normalize, if not legalize, drugs. Think about that. Maybe I'm getting it wrong, but I really thought about it today, and I'm thinking about this bulletin that's up on the subways encouraging drug use while DEA 
talks about how they're doing everything they can to get the drugs off the street because it's linked to violence. We have been undermined for decades by some truly evil bastards, some truly evil bastards. By using the term recreational drugs, it's kind of like saying, oh, Mr. Cutler, do you play ping pong? No. Maybe cocaine, heroin? What? Are you kidding me? That was the way I was asked the question. And now if you look at what happens to people who get hooked on drugs, we keep hearing the same story over and over and over again. A big part of homelessness is because of people using drugs. What happens to families when, a, when the adult in the family becomes a drug user? What happens when a child becomes a drug user? How well can you study when you're an addict? How well can you go to work and take a responsible job if you're addicted to narcotics? How many families have split up because of drug abuse? How many children have suffered violence in the home because one or both of the parents or caregivers, perhaps not the parents, had a, a drug addiction. How much violence do we see on the street because of narcotics and the gangs and drug deals gone bad? Besides the law enforcement officers like my good friend Hatch, how many people are killed every year because a drug dealer is controlling his or her turf or the cartels are operating or somebody commits a felony in order to get the money to buy the drugs that they've become hooked on? Using drugs is not a good career move. Using drugs is not good for one's health, even though the health department is now telling people how to use drugs. And it even tells you on the website, when starting out, go slowly. When starting out. So it's not even that they're saying, well, these people are already hooked on drugs. We don't want them to die. When starting out, go slowly. When you're taking cocaine or crack or heroin, realize that fentanyl may be mixed into the drugs. So perhaps you should purchase Fentanyl test strips. Fentanyl test strips? Have we stooped to that level? Is this even a possibility? The Department of Health recommending that New Yorkers get test strips for fentanyl. It takes my breath away. The drug money funds our adversaries, China, Iran, by the way, moving, as I've talked about on this program many times, according to expert witness testimony, Hezbollah working throughout Latin America, moving large quantities of illegal drugs into the United States, along with huge numbers of people, to generate money for terror operations around the world and to move sleeper agents and criminals into the United States of America to undermine us. And if at some point the United States acts against Iran's nuclear program because they are racing to getting nuclear-grade uranium, um, I hate to say it, but my big concern is that stuff is going to start to blow up in the United States because they have undoubtedly pre-positioned sleeper agents in the United States waiting for that phone call. And sanctuary cities make it that much easier for sleeper agents and members of the cartels to set up shop in the United States and do whatever evil they're going to do to us. That is why I believe New York City, for example, and I've written about it and I've spoken about it, became the distribution hub for the Mexican cartel, El Chapo Guzman, because New York has sanctuary policies and has access to um, seaports, to airports, the northern border. New York is an ideal location, shouldn't be, wouldn't be if we didn't have sanctuary policies, but we do. Immigration sanctuary policies protect not only illegal aliens, but human traffickers, corrupt employers, corrupt lawyers, Think about that. 
the idea that people could wander among us freely and not have to worry that they're here illegally, that the police have been ordered, do not cooperate with immigration authorities. If someone's an illegal alien, you may not report them. We had a case where a police officer was killed in New York City because of those policies, and I had to testify at the murder trial. Um, it was a horror show. Robert Mashadi was a 24-year-old police officer. His wife was pregnant at the time. He was a member of the, um, the uh, Brooklyn Task Force, and I used to work with them, made a lot of arrests with them, great bunch of cops. And one day he pulls over a guy that I had physically put on an airplane, a Panamanian by the name of Ronaldo Rayside. He had a green card, lost it because of his convictions for weapons and drug trafficking crimes. He was arrested three times by the NYPD. They could not tell immigration that he was actually encountered, even though his presence represented a felony. And I want to quickly make this point. We're always told this nonsense, these lies, this bull, that violations of immigration law are just administrative violations. Nothing to see here, folks. Keep moving. That is a big pile of stinking manure, okay? Immigration law comes in two segments. There is an administrative or civil segment, but there's a criminal segment as well. Now, what do I mean? Civilly, the way that you resolve the issue of an alien who is illegally present in the United States is to deport him, or in the parlance these days, remove him from the United States. Um, so now the question that I, we have is that if that's the, the civil side, what happens on the criminal side? Well, the criminal side is like any other crime, and these are not minor penalties. An alien who is deported from the United States and comes back illegally, if he has a criminal history, is facing up to 20 years in jail. As I've mentioned on this program before, it's something I'm very proud of because I worked with Senator Al D'Amato back in the 80s to create that law. I approached him with that idea. I said, look, we're not prosecuting people for reentry because they're not looking at criminal history. It's a two-year maximum crime. Prosecutors don't want to be bothered unless this guy has a rap sheet three miles long and he shot somebody. As a matter of routine, we should be prosecuting more of these cases. They're easy. Conspiracy cases can cost millions of dollars and thousands of agent hours and wiretaps and so forth. A reentry case can be put together in an afternoon. You find the warm body, you take his fingerprints, you compare the fingerprints to the fingerprint on his executed warrant of deportation. You go to the database, you do a query to see if the person ever applied for permission to come back to the United States. If the result is no, when we get a certified copy that it's no, and you match the fingerprints, you have all the elements of the crime. He's an illegal alien. He was deported. This is his criminal history. He's back. And away we go. In one afternoon, you can put that case together. The following day, you go to the grand jury. You get an indictment, and you arrest him. And now the guy's looking at up to 20 years in jail. Why wouldn't you want to do that to deter illegal aliens who are criminals from coming back to the country, right? So when you hear this nonsense, no big deal. It's a very big deal. If you lie on an application for a visa and it's in conjunction with terrorism, that's a 25-year felony. This isn't jaywalking. But these are all parts of the lies that we have been buried under by the media and by complicit politicians. So let's be very clear. That's the reason that the Joint Terrorism Task Force and the Drug Task Force and the Gang Task Forces always want immigration agents on board. If you're concerned about firearms, an illegal alien in possession of ammunition or a firearm is facing 10 years in federal prison for that charge. Illegal alien with a firearm, Title 18, United States Code, Section 922G5. I know I've made a bunch of arrests for that crime. 
It used to be a two-year felony, then it became a five-year felony. It's now a 10-year felony. So for all the talk of let's get the guns off the street, let's get the criminals off the street that wield the guns. Guns don't go jump up and shoot anybody. It's the bad guys who use the guns that way. And I just want to give you something else to think about. I was happy to take guns off the street because we took them away from very dangerous people. At one point, I, I held the record in my office because we weren't ATF, alcohol, tobacco, firearms, we were immigration. On a consent search, I took five guns out of an individual's house, a Jamaican drug dealer, including a sawed-off shotgun. And I also recovered the box of a gun, and the serial number was on it. It was a Smith & Wesson revolver that had been used to shoot a New York City housing cop. Thankfully, the cop survived his wound. But this guy was really bad, and we put him in jail because during the course of a consent search, which stood up in court, he was found guilty, he pleaded guilty, to being an illegal alien in possession of firearms. If you want to end gun violence, get the guns away from the criminals and get the criminals off the streets. You would think this is common sense. People who are law-abiding don't need a cop breathing down their neck or a federal agent breathing down their neck because they're afraid of being arrested or doing something wrong. No, their nature is to be law-abiding. That's what those two words mean when you put them together. A person who is predisposed to abide by the law, respect the law. So when we make it more difficult for law-abiding citizens to get firearms, and there are things that could be done and should be done. It's a very complex issue. I'm not going to get into it now, but I just want you to think about it. If you restrict firearm possession but don't enforce the laws other than to come up with, you know, red flag and all this other stuff, Criminals are still going to be out there with their guns, and no one's going to arrest them, and they've got to operate with impunity because the revolving door of justice that spins like a top puts these criminals back out on the street overnight. New York used to be the safest big city in the United States. Why? Because there was zero tolerance for anybody possessing a firearm without a permit. There was a woman who visited Ground Zero, the museum. She had a permit for, I believe, Texas to carry a firearm without realizing it, she came to New York with her firearm, thinking there would be reciprocity, but there isn't. She wound up in jail. I believe she wound up in jail for several weeks before a deal was finally cut, but normally there were no deals that could be cut. You were found with a gun. You were going away for two years. Full stop, end of statement. Two years in jail. Don't come to New York with a gun. Okay. Now, people can pull an armed robbery in New York under the district attorney in Manhattan, and unless he shoots somebody or she shoots somebody, they're going to be turned loose. This is what no bail looks like, folks. So you could arrest the same person with a firearm today, tomorrow, next Thursday, next Wednesday, a month from, and that person is going back on the street as long as they don't pull the trigger and shoot somebody. You want to get the guns off the street? I want to get the criminals off the street. I'm sick and tired of the nonsense. And so in my article and I hope you will read it. I, I raised some interesting points, I think, and I hope you'll agree that they're interesting. You're concerned about mass shootings, me too. Um, I was sickened by what I saw a couple of weeks ago in Texas, the school children. Uh, I was going to come on the air last week, by the way, but my daughter and her family wound up with COVID. Thank God they're okay. They're fully vaccinated. I'm not sure what role it played or didn't play. But they're okay, but we had to take care of family. For me, my family always comes first, and I'm sure it's the same for you. And by the way, the analogy is that for a country, it's 
citizens ought to come first also. But if you're concerned about mass shootings, here's a question that never seems to get asked or answered. I would like to know if the person wielding the firearm, gunning down innocent people, has Well, forgive me. I have no idea what's on with uh, my connection, but apparently we lost the connection. I hope I'm back on again. I apologize. Uh, As they used to say in the old days of television, due to circumstances beyond my control. Uh, Maybe I'm discussing a topic that has some people upset. God only knows. Uh, but, But that's my point. If you're going after people dying, then go after people dying. This dead is dead. Whether they're shot by a gun or shot by a hypodermic syringe, the result is the same. And the idea that we are allowing narcotics to be peddled on our street corners um, and the money from the drugs fuels the gangs and their violence. MS-13 fueled by drug money. It blows my mind. How in the world is this supposed to make America safe? How does this help our children? If you're concerned about our children, why wouldn't you be concerned that they might be getting hooked on drugs or that gang members may be operating in their schools and intimidating them into acting on the behalf of the gangs? MS-13 has a slogan, kill, rape, control. That's what they do. And they start when they're in their early teens, 12, 13, 14 years old. And drugs fuel much of this. Drugs break up families. Drugs have a negative impact on everything. National security, public health, public safety, even our economy. What does it cost America to care for people who are hooked on drugs and instead of being productive members of society are incapable of being productive because they have an addiction problem. We have a homelessness problem that in part is fueled by the drugs. And now it's okay to advertise on subways and it's not just New York. It's not just New York. We are allowing municipal governments to aid and abet and encourage illegal immigration in violation of Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1324. Please look it up after the program. Harboring, aiding, abetting, inducing, transporting, shielding. It sounds like another day in the life of the Joe Biden administration. We're doing the same thing with narcotics. And it started out with that stupid question, and I had never made the connection until I was on Bobby Gunther's show this morning. Do you use recreational drugs? Making it sound as normal as possible. Oh, do you like cream in your coffee or just uh, sugar? Do you use heroin? Do you use cocaine? No, this isn't a recreation. This is self-destructive behavior that impacts all of us. All of us. How many crimes are committed by people strung out on drugs? Nobody wants to talk about it because too many people are making money. And if you go down Roosevelt Avenue in Queens, New York, well, uh, Chapo Guzman set up shop, you will see one establishment after another operating 24-7 to wire money out of the United States. I remember when I did a ride-along with the sheriffs in Minnesota long before the riots, this was about 15 years ago, they told me that they had three money wire services that they thought may have been involved in illicit activities. I said, three? And the sheriff drove by the three places and said, yeah, look at this. Do you have that problem in New York? I said, oh, we do, but it's a little bit bigger. It's in every community, whether it's Washington Heights, whether it's uh, Queens, whether it's Astoria, 
whether it's Roosevelt Avenue. Uh, it, it's, it, we have in some neighborhoods five, six, seven of these places on one block, both sides of the street, and it goes on forever like that. That is the drain through which money is disappearing out of our pockets and going into the pockets of some very evil people. That is also the true barometer about border security. Billions and billions and billions of dollars in drugs flowing across a border that's not secure. If the border was secure, this wouldn't be happening. People are profiting from it. And not only don't they provide commercials, and I've been screaming about this forever because the commercials have been very effective to convince people to stop smoking cigarettes, what we're witnessing is the blatant encouragement. Go out there and use those drugs. Show that you're really an adult, that you can control the amount of drugs you're taking, and that should empower you. Empower you because you're hooked on drugs and you don't overdose? I want to know whose side our government is on because sure as hell they're not on our side, not on the side of we the people. If I sound infuriated, I am. And then you had Biden just a couple of weeks ago saying that he wanted to end Title 42. And on the very same day, this is, I believe, May 26th, they shut down the Federal Law Enforcement Officer Training Center. Why? Because of fear that they were spreading COVID. Now they're saying that they're rescinding all the regulations. Who knows? Maybe they read my article. But you can't have it both ways. You can't shut down the academy because of fear of COVID and then say that we're going to lift Title 42. Does anyone know what's going on? Does anyone feel any concern whatsoever for the lives and the safety of Americans? Because the sense that I have is that they could not care less about our well-being. You could not care less about our well-being if you're permitting millions of people into the United States at a time, for example, when we have a serious drought in the West. I've mentioned it before. I will mention it again. I did a bit of research, and it seems that the average human being requires a minimum of 100 gallons of water per day. If it sounds like a lot, it isn't. Think about it. Flushing the toilet, brushing your teeth, drinking water, and cooking with water, taking showers, all of that requires water. And then more water is needed to grow the crops that the people who are in the country need to eat. So every person who's here needs a minimum of 100 gallons of water. If you let in a million people, do the math. Do the math. 100, millions of gallons, 100 million gallons of water per day are being consumed by a million people. We have a severe drought. They are restricting the use of water in California and elsewhere in the West, and we're bringing in millions of additional people. If you're worried about inflation, think about supply and demand. Maybe Joe Biden isn't capable of thinking. And maybe his wacky cabinet is clueless. But the reality is the standard theory of economics is supply and demand. The more people want a particular commodity, the more that the price of the commodity goes up. If nobody drove cars and nobody would want gasoline, gasoline would be as cheap as as you could imagine. However, as more people come to America and drive cars, the demand for gasoline goes up. Pollution goes up. So if they're that concerned about being green, and I'm really convinced that I know why they call it the Green New Deal, because lots of money is involved here, folks. That's the green and the Green New Deal, okay? But if they were really concerned about the environment, 
<clears throat> then the last thing you'd want to do is keep bringing more people to the United States who need water and electricity and sewerage and food and housing because it jacks up the price of everything, exacerbating inflation, which is now considered the number one concern of most American families. Housing prices have gone through the roof. Why is that? Because you have more people coming to America and they need housing. And Americans are losing their jobs or suffering wage suppression when they compete with foreign workers, so many are losing their homes. In Manhattan right now, the median price for an apartment, and I can tell you, I've been in some of those apartments, they look like closets. The median price for an apartment in Manhattan today is $4,000 per month. How much money do you have to earn every year to be able to afford a $4,000 rent because on top of that, you have utilities and food and going back and forth to work, maybe eating occasionally, you know, the luxury of a sandwich. How in the world does that square with where we are? We are destroying the economy, and I've said it in the past, I will say it again, it is my belief that that is truly the goal of the radical Democrats. Not to look out for the average American blue-collar worker, which was why I became a Democrat when I first graduated from college, in fact, while I was still in college, because the Democrat Party used to look out for blue-collar America, people like my dad who was a construction worker. No more. They could care less. This is about power. This is about seizing power and relentlessly holding on to it, and it's not about bringing in new voters. I keep hearing this nonsense from the people on the conservative side. Oh, they're bringing in votes. No, they're not. Well, I mean, they are. But that's not the big issue. The big issue is you crush the economy, and then everyone has to go to the candidate to offer handouts. The Republicans don't offer handouts, but the Democrats sure as hell do. They are bought and paid for, and they expect American voters to be bought and paid for. They're going to force Americans to go to the party of the handout, which is the Democrats, because what they want is permanent, total control over the government on the federal, on the state, and on the city level. Of course, they exist in the twilight zone. When I look at what just happened in San Francisco um, with um, uh, Mr. Boudin getting uh, handed the walking papers, I'm hopeful. I am hopeful that Americans have finally awakened, not woke, but awakened, different word, to the fact that what is being done, not for them, but to them, is unacceptable. Um, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and by the way, I find it remarkable that these people that are harassing and threatening Supreme Court justices, committing a, a crime, by the way, one that the Justice Department apparently is, has no problem with, will not prosecute for it. But they're saying, well, Ruth sent us. If you watch the documentary about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and I'm a fan of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, doesn't mean I always agreed with her. Didn't mean I always agree. I don't have to agree with somebody all the time. To, to be supportive of them as human beings, right? So she said two things that's worth thinking. Number one, um, the, the mascot of the United States should not be the bald eagle but a pendulum. If you get too far into the weeds on one side, that pendulum is going to come back. Well, I think it is. I think it is. I just worry that it comes back too far and too fast because, you know, there's a lot of pent-up anger in the United States right now. And sometimes reactionary politics can be dangerous. We have to go carefully and in a measured way. I don't like extremes on either side. I believe in keeping the car in the middle of the road. 
We may argue about what lane to be driving in, but I certainly don't want to jump the guardrail into oncoming traffic, nor do I want to go down the embankment and off the cliff. I like to keep the bus and the car somewhere in the middle, centered. And I think most Americans would agree. It, it's, you know, the old story, if it bleeds, it leads. The media will give a lot of attention to some lunatic who comes out and says the most outlandish things because, oh, my God, look at that. Can you believe he said that? I think most Americans are centrists. I've traveled across this great country. And what has struck me is that if you sit down to dinner, and I've had this privilege many times across America, you find that we all have the same or similar concerns and aspirations and goals. We want to have a safe environment. We want our kids to do well and get a good, solid education so they have a bright future. That's what we want. That's what we want. The crazies are running the show. But in any event, Ruth Bader Ginsburg said that the pendulum should be our mascot. I agree. The other thing, this notion that Ruth Bader Ginsburg sent them to harass the judges, I strongly doubt she would have supported that. And while most of these nitwits are out there talking about equity, Ruth Bader Ginsburg throughout her career fought for equality, equality for all, equal justice for all. That's what equality means whether it was a man who was widowed and couldn't get Social Security money and needed the money so he could help raise their child. Um, She fought because back then they said, oh, no, no, the man doesn't get Social Security. If you were a woman, you would get it. And she said, that's not fair. So she won that case. And I agree strongly. I was a single parent, tragically, uh, when my first wife died when our son was 22 months old. So equality is what she fought tooth and nail for, not equity. Not equity. And again, the radical left will co-opt anybody and everybody and twist what they've said or what they've done. Um, if you look at Cesar Chavez, who started the farmers' union, the, the, um, the migrant farm workers' union, he was not an advocate for illegal aliens. He hated illegal immigration because it made life miserable for American migrant workers. And now you have the news media referring to this caravan headed our way as a caravan of migrants. No, they're not, because American migrants are also out there. So this is not a caravan of migrants, folks. This is a caravan of aspiring illegal aliens. And, yes, many of them are desperate. But when I listened to Geraldo Geraldo, uh, on on TV the other day, oh, they're coming to wash our clothing and mow our lawns, you know, the usual nonsense. Who would do the work? Well, if you paid people decently, Americans would do the work. When I was a kid, I worked in the restaurants, as did most of my buddies back in high school. When you drop the price of of the wages so low, then it becomes impossible to attract American workers. Then you hire the illegals. Then you hire the illegals. And when they talk about root cause of illegal immigration, yes, many of them are economic refugees. And we always hear this. And then I hear from my conservative friends, I want you to think about this. I'm going to presume you're probably a conservative, maybe not, but I hope, like me, you're fully American, which is what I am. And so they say, well, if they're coming to work, that's fine, but as long as they don't go on welfare. Wait a minute. We have laws against illegal aliens working in the United States of America. That is designed to protect jobs and wages of Americans, and those laws are important. I was no big fan of raiding factories or other workplaces. But the satisfaction that I got is if I drove by that place the next day and saw a line of people looking for work, 
These were American citizens and lawful immigrants, every flavor imaginable, waiting for jobs that we had liberated. Very satisfying. That's why we have immigration laws. The Labor Department used to run immigration to protect the jobs and wages of American workers. What's wrong with that? So when I hear this nonsense, well, as long as they're not on welfare and they're here to work, that's great. No, it's not great. We're supposed to control the number of foreign workers who enter the United States so we don't destroy the wages and the jobs of Americans. That's what being an American is about. Our government should be looking out for our welfare by not permitting an army of foreign low-paid workers to enter the United States. Alan Greenspan testified for Chuck Schumer back on April 30th, 2009, about how illegal aliens, undocumented workers, represented at least 5% of the economy, and they were an important part of the workforce. They shouldn't be. And then he went on and said, well, it's true that they will suppress the wages of Americans, but only slightly. Slightly. If you're making minimum wage and they suppress your wage, where are you? And then he talked about how it did cost the cities and states money for all, all kinds of services. But nevertheless, corporations are doing well with it. Really? How cool is that? And then he wanted foreign workers in the high-tech industries to be displaced, Americans to be displaced by foreign high-tech workers, calling American high-tech workers the privileged elite. This is insanity. The first president in decades to stand up to this betrayal of America and Americans was Donald Trump. Now, I didn't always agree with Trump. I thought his messaging could have been better. Um, you know, I, I was having a discussion with a, a retired Air Force uh, officer, and I said, you know, for me, Donald Trump reminds me of the ejection seat in a fighter plane. No pilot wants to hit the button, but when your life is on the line, when America's survival is on the line, we push that button for Donald Trump. We push that button for the ejection seat. The reason Trump got elected, he's the first president in how long to talk about putting Americans first, not America first, because in the minds of the politicians, putting America first means doing what the lobbyists tell them to do. Putting Americans first is very different. In fact, I made that point. Now, when politicians talk about bringing in the world's best and brightest, every American in that audience should be standing up, screaming at the top of their lungs, Americans, with an S, Americans first. Yes, the laws permit <clears throat> exceptional people to come to the United States. Because you usually hear this garbage. You wouldn't want Albert Einstein. You wouldn't want Elon Musk. You, of course we do. But those are the exceptional. But when you bring in hundreds of thousands of foreign workers, the only thing exceptional about them is they will work for exceptionally low wages under exceptionally adverse conditions. And one of the biggest advocates for that particular perspective was Jeff Sessions, which is one of the reasons I was so frustrated with Donald Trump uh, when he had that go-around with Jeff. And if there was a concern about recusing himself, there was a simple solution if Trump had thought about it. He could have moved him over to be the head of Homeland Security, and then that whole issue goes away. If he wanted to remove him, he's president. You serve at the president's pleasure. He didn't need to tear him apart the way he did and destroy his opportunity to get back to the Senate because Jeff Sessions had one of the clearest and most moral voices of anybody in the Congress, either house. I know Jeff. In fact, Jeff Sessions quoted me during uh, the 2006 or 2000 debate, 2007 debates about comprehensive immigration reform. 
I had written an op-ed for the Washington Times, and my original dream was to be an aerospace engineer. I, I did some flying, too. My boys are engineers. I've always been about aviation and space flight. And so I compared those hearings with the countdown for the launch of Space Shuttle Challenger. And what I said was that the purpose for the countdown before a rocket launch is for the experts to weigh in as to whether or not they should go forward with the launch. And think what happens to Shuttle Challenger and the seven astronauts when NASA launched against the advice of some of their best engineers. We had a tragedy. Well, if the countdown is for the experts to weigh in about the launch, then hearings are about the experts weighing in about whether or not we should go forward with legislation. And the notion of giving millions of people here illegally lawful status without even the capacity to interview them, let alone do a field investigation, endangers national security irreparably. So I suggested that they rename comprehensive reform the Terrorist Assistance and Facilitation Act. Jeff Sessions quoted me from the floor of the Senate on three separate days with attribution, unlike most politicians who plagiarize, he wouldn't. His moral compass was far too strong for that. And then the cherry on top of it was that he sent me a wonderful certificate commending me for that article and stating that it was his belief that his ability to use my words persuaded enough of his colleagues to vote down bad legislation. I also had dinner with Jeff Sessions and his wife when I was in Florida with the David Horowitz Freedom Center. We were both on a panel discussion along with Louis Gohmert, another real good guy in Congress, and another gentleman who's no longer in Congress, John Fleming. And if you go to the um, David Horowitz Freedom Center website, you can still watch the video of that panel discussion where I was honored to join three members of Congress, including Jeff Sessions, uh, in a panel discussion about immigration. No leader is 100% right or wrong. Well, I can't say that. I, I can think of a couple leaders who are more than 100% wrong. But you understand my point. And as Americans, we should be sitting down and having meaningful conversations, not fights, not arguments, not insulting each other. Think about the impact your words have. I may have mentioned it before, but one of the things that really upsets me is when a conservative refers to bleeding heart liberals. What exactly is a bleeding heart liberal? A compassionate American who maybe is blinded by that compassion and making bad decisions. You know, they say that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I believe that many of our neighbors who, the, the people that use that term bleeding heart, would, would accuse them of being bleeding hearts. Who do you want for a friend? Somebody who's a cold-hearted SOB or somebody who's compassionate? I don't know about you, but my friends are compassionate. I have no time for people who lack compassion, who lack empathy. It's not a bleeding heart. It's not a negative. It's a positive. But we need to educate them in the harsh reality that we do not have unlimited resources. If you're on a lifeboat and the lifeboat is filled to capacity and there are more people thrashing about in frigid, shark-infested waters and you try to bring them all into the boat, that boat's going to go under. Everyone's going to die. So sometimes you have to make terrible decisions. Sometimes it's just like that. I remember when I lost my my parents and my first wife to cancer. You know, you go to the doctor and you're begging them, please, you've got to do something. There's got to be something you can do. And the worst thing in the world that a doctor can tell you is, Mr. Cutler, we've exhausted all possibilities. There's nothing we can do. Just thinking about it makes me ill inside. And tragically, I know many other people have experienced that. We are all fragile. We are all here temporarily. My mother 
uh, used to say to me that we all hang by threads and it doesn't take much for that thread to break. That's why I believe in being compassionate. I believe in trying to help people as much as we can, but we have to also abide by the Clint Eastwood statement, you know, dirty Harry, man has got to know his limitations. Well, a person has got to know his or her limitations. But we need to sit down and have meaningful conversations with our neighbors. Um, Get the guns off the street. Well, let's get the criminals off the street, folks. People that would wield that gun and kill. That's what's dangerous. We need to make certain that we don't let people into the United States who mean us harm. We don't want to let foreign workers into the United States so Americans lose their jobs. And any politician who thinks it's appropriate to become an advocate for the use of illegal drugs not only needs to be sent packing, but maybe should be prosecuted. This isn't a game. This is not a game. People are dying on a daily basis. The mass shootings make headlines. But what was the last time uh, you you saw the actual statistics on a day-by-day basis about how many people died of an overdose or how many people died because somebody who was strung out on drugs mowed them down with a car? Where somebody who committed the crime to get the drugs killed or wounded somebody, and the list goes on. That's my point. Dead is dead. If we're concerned about human life, if we're concerned about the lives of our fellow Americans in particular, then we should be looking at every way that lives are lost. It might be, um, you know, very dramatic and horrific to talk about a mass shooting, and it's sickening. Uh, You know, how could you not react that way? But please understand that we lose many people, many more people every day to drug overdoses than we do to mass shootings. And we're not talking about how many children's futures have been taken down to the cul-de-sac of disaster because they became hooked on drugs and were unable to study. And, And so that education that might have made all the difference for them no longer works. We're watching people throw their lives away. And you have New York City and other cities advocating the use of illegal drugs. And this is supposed to be a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. It's funny. My my son said to me, my youngest son said, Dad, sometimes these reports look like an onion headline. And it was funny because Bill Maher used the very same analogy. If you're not familiar with it, The Onion is a satirical newspaper where the headlines are fake. I thought this was a fake story. I did my homework, which we should all do, and it's all too real. New York City is advocating for the use of drugs, heroin, crack, fentanyl. When does it end? When does the depravity end? When do we, the people, make the politicians accountable? They took an oath of office to defend and protect the Constitution. Article 4, Section 4 says that the state that they provided with a Republican form of government and protected against invasion and domestic violence. What these politicians are doing violates the Constitution and as a consequence violates their oaths of office. It also violates all the BS promises that they make. It has to end. We are their employers, not the other way around. Not the other way around. They need to be held accountable. And the only people who could make them accountable are we the people by asking them the tough questions, by understanding how they're going to try to dodge the questions, because most of them are artful dodges and con artists, and making damn sure that when someone strays from the straight and narrow, 
that we boot them as certainly as an employer would boot an errant employee because most of them are errant employees who are guilty of insubordination, failing to follow instructions from their, subor- their superior. They are subordinate to us. The only reason they think they aren't is because we allow them to get away with this garbage. Shame on us. We, the people, should be dictating the way that this government operates, not the other way around. The government is telling us how to operate. Well, where, where these issues are, are concerned, the release of criminals and open borders that violate the law, violate the findings of the 9-11 Commission, this is not acceptable stuff. And if, God forbid, there is a terror attack, I'd like to know what, what Joe Biden and, and this other assorted bunch of clueless clowns are going to say. Oops, we goofed. Is he going to blame it on Putin the way he's blaming the, the gas prices and inflation? Find someone else to scapegoat. Hey, Joe, you need to look in the mirror. They all need to look in the mirror. They need to be accountable for what they do and what they say. And I have to tell you, listening to Chuck Schumer standing on the steps of the Supreme Court last year, threatening Gorsuch and Kavanaugh about the whirlwind and they won't know what hit them. You have... Uh, all these politicians saying, get in their face. How did we get into this kind of a confrontational mentality that never existed before? It used to be that as Americans, we respected each other's right to disagree. You know the old saying, I disagree with what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. Where did that concept go? Where did that concept go? How do we allow these politicians who are riding high on the hog, making all kinds of money. Nancy Pelosi with all of her stock wheelings and dealings. Goodness, let them eat ice cream. If you remember that freezer, right? The $26,000 freezer with her designer ice cream. How can people reelect these folks? I don't give a damn about Republican or Democrat. Those terms mean very little to me. It's who they are as individuals. That's what should matter. And they need to be held accountable because the decisions they make have real-world implications for America, for Americans, and for the future of our children and for the future of their children. Maybe Pelosi doesn't care about her family, but I love my family, and this is about protecting them. We as Americans need to recognize that being involved in politics, disgusting as it is, is really an extension of being a good parent because this will impact the future of our children, their children, and generations to come. The job can be done. There are solutions to be found if you really want solutions. Interior enforcement, as I've written so many times and testified so many times, is really the key to border security. They don't want interior enforcement because then you go after the crooked lawyers and businessmen and et cetera, et cetera. Too bad. Accountability is a responsibility that should go with public office. And they're very often getting away with not being made accountable, making terrible decisions that have serious consequences. But yet if a cop on the beat in the moment of a life and death struggle makes a bad decision, that police officer will be made accountable. What I want to know is why is it that politicians are not made accountable? Because their decisions are costing lives every single day, and it's got to stop. You know, it's funny how much uh, education and knowledge empowers us. Knowledge is power. 
My goal has been since day one to provide you with the insight that I've acquired during my 30-year career with the INS. The facts are there. The information is there. Morality is on our side. It's simply a matter of sitting down with our neighbors, getting them to understand the issue, not by browbeating them, but by having a heartfelt, sincere conversation. You'd be amazed at how many people you can win over. And by the way, don't keep haranguing them. End the discussions with a question. One of the real good ones is, would you get on an airplane if you saw your fellow passengers sneaking past TSA? I doubt they would. Why then are we being forced to live among millions of individuals who have no right to be in our country, who entered by evading a very similar inspections process that we're supposed to conduct at ports of entry to keep out those who would do harm to us? Simple question. I'm hoping that you will take the opportunity. Summer is coming. Uh, we're out there having barbecues and family get-togethers. Let's celebrate the First Amendment. By the way, everybody, I wish the men out there who have children happy Father's Day because you can't underestimate the value of good parenting. Uh, my son really honored me the other day. He told me he met with a bunch of his fellow engineering students, and they all came to the same conclusion. They wouldn't be the successes that they are if it weren't for their parents. Kind of uh, gave me a nice warm feeling inside. Um, so happy Father's Day. Have a great weekend. And please remember, democracy is not a spectator sport. I will see you next week right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. So long for now, folks. Sorry about all the interruptions with the equipment.